Father, we're grateful to be here this morning and open the word. And Lord, you have a plan and a purpose in all things. And so I'm grateful, Father, that the weather we have, I'm grateful, Father, for the body of believers we are in. And Lord, I'm glad that they're safe and not out on the roads. And so, Father, ask that you would bless this message this morning, Father, as we look at what you'd have us to see once again at the woman at the well in John 4, Father. So without you, Lord Jesus, I can't do this, so I'm asking for your help to preach this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, let's go to John chapter 4 this morning, and let's look at verse 27. Uh, let's see here, where do we want to go? We'll start in verse 27. We'll read down to verse 42. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another one reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things, all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves, have, we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So Jesus' mission while he was upon this earth was to seek and save those who were lost. That's, you can read that in Luke 19.10. He comes to save those who are lost. And because the church belongs to him, we're his bride, we're his body, uh, we're to be about the same mission as well. So the church is really God's plan for man's salvation today. And as such, uh, it needs to sound the message of the gospel to those who are not saved. And to do that without shame. After all, what does Romans 1.16 say? For I'm not ashamed, what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel yeah, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So we're to be about preaching the gospel to an unsaved world without shame, without being intimidated. That really epitomizes the Great Commission. I had 
read this morning, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, the word would say. So the church is the instrument through which this charge was carried out. And today the church stands as the instrument for evangelism as well. It is the tool of evangelism, the body of Christ. Me, you, every believer. And Jesus, who is really the master teacher, has much to teach us about winning souls. I mean, you could spend hours and hours in the Word and looking at how he how he would bring people to himself. Now, we're not the Lord, of course. We are his body. But he's got something to teach us in this class of evangelism in the Gospels. By way of example, he teaches us that we need to have compassion for people. Uh, Matthew 9, go to Matthew 9. It's really hard to minister to folks without compassion. It's a given. We need to be compassionate. Verses 35 and 36 said that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Here's that word, compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the compassion that the Lord has. We wouldn't have been saved without it. Now, he's done, as the master teacher, he, by way of instruction, he would teach us even a need for prayer. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, then his, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. So prayer is even needed for evangelism by the body. Now, we'll, get, we'll look at that verse a little bit more in just a little, just a little bit. Many other things regarding evangelism can be gleaned from our Lord's example, even in the text that we're in. Let's go back here to John chapter 4. Look at verses 35, if you would, to 38. Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this is the saying is true, one sows, another one reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you, didn't, you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So, the Samaritan woman, we'll go back to this thought. She, the woman left, so impressed by her time with the Lord. You know, why was she impressed? Because he told her everything she'd ever done. Now, what did that entail? I don't know. But that's quite a thing, to have the Messiah there telling you everything you've ever done. And so she's impressed by her time with Jesus as she left, and she left her water pot at the well. She comes with the water pot. She leaves without it because of her excitement. She leaves with excitement because she's sure she found who? The Messiah. Now, 
Jesus so impressed this woman that she was compelled to tell those in her city, the men in her city, if you look at the text, that they should come to the well and meet him, even though he confronted her with her sin. You know, she, he told her she was a sinner. She's excited about thinking she met the Messiah because he knows everything about her. She runs to the city with excitement. Come and see what has happened to me. Now, notice verse 29 here. Come and see the man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That was her question. Could this be the Christ? Now, the Jews believed that one essential characteristic of the Messiah would be that he should be able to tell the secrets of all hearts. Now, this came from their understanding of Isaiah chapter 11. If we go back here to Isaiah 11. She's not just asking that question because she's trying to guess who the Messiah is. She, they were expecting him. That's interesting because you're raised in Samaria and you got a little bit of the Mosaic law and you got a, a bunch of, of idolatry mixed in in your religion together. But nevertheless, they never, they were always looking forward to the Messiah to come. And if you look at verses, I need to get there myself. Verses 1 through 5, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek and, the, and of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. This man at the well talked like no other man she'd ever heard. And he knew everything about her. So this, the, that thought is he's going to know the secret heart's of all people when he shows up. This was taught to them. And so I think that's where she's coming from. Is this the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Come and see. Come and find out if it's, it's him. Now, let's go to verses 35 and 38 there in, in John 4. Again, we just read that, so I don't need to read that again. But Jesus teaches his, his disciples about the urgency of the spiritual work and the opportunity that's in front of them. It says, do, do you not say there are still four months and then the harvest? So it's thought, it is thought here that they were four months away from the harvest when this happened. A lot of Bible scholars think that. But he says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white, white for the harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and, and he who reaps may rejoice together. And, and so the harvest is ready. He, the, the wages are there. So let no man hang back or, or a woman to hang back. A harvest will not wait. It's got to be picked now. If you're looking at a, a wheat field and the heads are white, right? That's if you've ever harvested wheat. When it gets to where they're white, it's time. It's it's all it's all it's it's almost too ripe. You better cut it now. So a person who is 
in the Palouse who works through the wheat can understand that. Okay, I'm looking at the wheat. It's time to get this stuff cut. There's no waiting around. It's ready to be cut. And then the idea of harvest meant that there were many people ready to receive the kingdom of God and that the disciples should see themselves now as workers, as reapers, as gleaners in the harvest, as should we. We should be able to look out into the masses of people and see that there's a harvest ready to pick. In a lot of ways, the church is like the American people. Let's let the, the, the fruit be picked by others. I'm too busy. In our country, we hire people from other countries to come in and harvest because we don't have time to do it. No, the church is the one that's supposed to be the harvest, spiritual, or, or bring in the spiritual harvest. So after Jesus ministers to this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, the townspeople heard uh, her incredible testimony of salvation. They begin coming to investigate her claims about Jesus. And in the meantime, in the text, verse 33, the disciples, therefore, Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? So they were in town gathering food, and so now they want to know if he's eaten. So they were concerned about his physical state, thinking that he must be hungry, he must be tired. And so they arrive on the scene, and Jesus tells them that serving the Father by fulfilling his work or his mission is more satisfying than any physical food you can give me. Look what it says in 34 and 35. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to what? Finish his work. Do you not say there is still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. So Jesus wasn't saying here that food and drink and rest are not important. He wanted his disciples to know that life is a lot more than those things. That man does not eat or live by bread alone. That's what Matthew 4, 4 says, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that, uh, I, better, I better not quote that. <laughs> I get it wrong. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? And so Jesus found satisfaction a greater source of strength and satisfaction than the food he would eat. He found that satisfaction in not merely starting the work of God, but finishing the work of God. I want to finish the work he sent me to do, which tells you a little bit about the well. That's God's plan to save this woman at the well, which we don't have in her name. But God came to, Jesus comes to do what? Fulfill that work. Finish that work. Look at John 19, verse 30. John 19, 30. And John 19, 30 says, So that Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. What is finished? The work of God. The work of God. He did finish it. The work of God he finished. Okay, so the harvest is a common biblical theme that's associated with the kingdom of God. I got a few verses here that would show us that. Isaiah 27, verse 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from 
the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. You see this harvest, uh, 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 whether it's for the wicked or the righteous, you can see this word harvest in the scriptures. Amos 9, Amos 9.13. We don't need to read all of these, but we, they're in your bulletin. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. That's going to be a great time. Wouldn't that be a great time when the, 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 the reaper overtakes the plow? <laughs> Anybody ever seen farming like that? No. That's a, you, the, the crop grows faster than the people that are plowing the field. Huh? Can you imagine the reaper overtakes the plow? That is amazing. That would be, only God could do such a thing. Matthew 13. Verses 24 to 30, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, uh, do you want us then to go and gather them up? They said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will... Uh, say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. So this word harvest shows up quite a few times through the scriptures. So it's a common biblical theme that's associated with the kingdom of God. Now, when the fields are white for harvest, it means uh, it's, they're ready to be harvested, of course, but it's when it's fully sprouted and it's, it's peak condition for gathering, it does become, as I said, white, but it it's, looks like a sea of white. It, and you would see that if you traveled down into the wheat country around August. So, but Jesus wanted his disciples, to, like I said, to understand the urgency and the immediate opportunity of of, of of the mission that was before them, people hungry for the truth, ready to receive his salvation, and they were coming to him. So, therefore, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation, as the Bible would tell us in 2 Corinthians 6. Today is that day, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. Of course, the word says, verse 2 there, he says... In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the, the, the thought he's given, or the message he's given his disciples and even us is, look out, lift up your eyes and look, look in front of you. Just look to the masses of people that are out here, and today is their day. They're ready to be 
Here's the gospel. They're ready for somebody to go out there. The, it, the seed's been planted. It's been watered enough. They're waiting for somebody to go out there and glean the harvest. Preach the gospel to them. So God is the Lord of the harvest. Again, he says in Matthew chapter 9, I want to go back there. I said I would. Matthew 9, verses 35 and 38. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He chooses the right moment to do his work of salvation in the hearts of men and women. And at the same time, God chooses to partner with us to do this work. That's an amazing act of grace, that God would even want you and I to be part of winning souls. He, he can just save them by himself, can't he? Does He does. He's the Savior, right? But he, why does he include you and I in it? You ever thought about that? Why does he need me? He doesn't need me. Why does he need you? He doesn't need you. So why, why does he have people preaching the gospel, planting seed, uh, watering that seed? Why would God want to do that? What's, what's the point of it? Well, there's a harvest to be had, but he wants to reward you for something you may not even have been a part of. Isn't that amazing? He wants you to reap the rewards of what you didn't labor in. What a gift. That's, that's amazing that God would do that. But, you know, so we must keep our eyes upon, uh, uh, upon seizing the opportunities he presents and join with him in offering salvation to others. Because the fields are white for harvest. It means the right time to bring people into God's kingdom is not tomorrow. It's not, it's now. So, uh, and, and I don't know who he's going to save I don't know, but every minute of the day, there may be opportunity for us to preach the gospel, us to plant that seed, or to water that seed, or to, to be the one that God uses to, to reap that harvest. But I don't know when that's going to be. So what, where, where do my eyes need to be? Huh? I need to be aware all the time. This could be the moment that that person gets saved. Well, for the most part, we're, we're, we're like the disciples. We're just concerned about the moment or what's going on in the flesh. Oh, are we hungry? Are we, instead of, Jesus says, lift up your eyes. Look around you. Pay attention. Because there's people that need to be saved, and I want to use you to be part of that. Paul tells Timothy to be prepared to preach the gospel in season and out of season in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In, agricultural, in, the, in the agricultural world, farmers must wait between the sowing and the reaping seasons. There's, there's a, a, a waiting there. There's a getting ready there. You know, what does a farmer do in between the harvest and the next harvest? Be ready in season and out of season is for us. How, how do I get ready? There's a harvest out there or, you know, God might have used me to reap this soul into the kingdom of God. What do I, but there's, a, there's another time coming. What do I need to do to prepare? Be in the word. Be in prayer. 
What do you think a farmer does? Harvests the field and goes in and sits down and has a cup of coffee? What's he doing? He's doing fixing his machinery. He's doing whatever needs so the equipment works. He's constantly working and preparing for what? The next time. And so you and I ought to be engaged that way too. Um, in the spiritual realm, the time for gathering in the harvest is, is now whenever a, a, and wherever a crop of white ripe souls exists, now's the day. It's not six months from now. It's not four months from now. Okay, so sowing and reaping and, and the, the harvest of crops more generally are regularly used in the Bible to refer to preaching the gospel and the effects it has, such as the parable of the sower. You can read that account in Matthew chapter 13. I think it's in Mark 4 and Luke 8. The parable of the wheat and tares, which I just read. The, the seed that grows secretly, Mark chapter 4. If you go to Mark 4, verse 26. Um, this is a smaller one, so you may not remember it as well as the others, but Mark 4, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by the day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that full grain in the, in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, sowing and planting seeds uh, would be the initial stage in preaching the word. Reaping would be bringing in the harvest, seeing the results, uh, the changes in people's lives. So Paul fleshes this out in 1 Corinthians 3. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 9. And Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but notice this, God gave the increase. Okay. Some people are called to plant seed. Some people water that seed. But who is the one that does the saving? The Lord. God does that. He gives the increase. Then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If you're the one that God uses to plant the seed, well, you're what? You're neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now what did he just say there? We're one, where we're one individually, but we're also one together. So if you plant the seed and I come along and water that seed and then somebody else comes along and harvests that seed, let's just say it that way, then all of us get, what, the same reward? Yeah. Well, that's quite a reward. A soul in heaven is quite a reward. He says here, now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. Okay, So we're not just saving souls. What are we doing? We are building on the house of God. 
We're building in the house of God as if we're laying stones in this house of God. We're laboring together in this. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another builds on it. Now look what he says here. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Right? What's my responsibility if I'm engaged in harvesting souls? Be careful how you build on it. Because God's just, he, he, he wants it done his way. He's a perfectionist. You're bringing people into the kingdom of God. You better do it God's way. You better do it with the gospel. Exactly like he says, because he's not going to take, he's building this nine, nice house and you're going to build a lean-to on the side of it. No. It's, you're going to put effort into the harvest. You're going to glean the harvest. You're going to do what you're supposed to to bring in this harvest. You're going to make disciples with this harvest. Be careful how you build into somebody else's spiritual life. Why? What does he say here? For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ, is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, okay, what foundation? Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work for what sort it is. Now, ima just imagine that. We're building into people's lives. We, we've planted a seed, we've watered a seed, we've We've, we've looked out into the harvest that's ready. We, God uses us to harvest. We make disciples. And we just do it halfway. Or we don't do it like the word of God would tell us to do it. And it's going to be tested by fire. If you, if it, I, I look at this often. All My investment into this body, your investment into this body of Christ at Rathrum Bible Church will be tested by fire. Now, does that bother anybody? Huh? Well, it should. If anybody, if anyone's work, verse 14, which he has built on it endures, he will receive what? So what's at stake? Our rewards. Does anybody care about their rewards? Huh? You want to hear, well, that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest, those kind of things. But how many are, if we look at Hebrews and we look at 1 Corinthians, we look at this race that we're in, how many are running to win the race? Or are you just like, folks, you need to see, you need, just need to understand this, okay? You are entered into the race when you got saved. You didn't have an option. You are running. Do you want to win? Or do you want to be last? He says run in order to what? To win. Listen, how, what kind of effort do you want to put into your Christianity and your investment into others? Do you want treasure when you arrive into glory? And don't say, I'm just happy to be saved. Because that, that, that's what will happen here. You get down here and it says, um, if any, uh, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. 
So it's not a question of your salvation here. It's a question of your reward. You'll get through it, but some of you are going to smell like smoke. In other words, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God without much reward. And that reward stays with you for eternity, folks. You might throw your crowns down and all that, but your rewards are with you. God doesn't give them to you and take them away. He doesn't give you a crown and take it away. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. So my point is, when you are laboring with people, the, is, Paul's point here is that they're all on the same team and Paul himself does not wish to take credit for this marvelous work that God is using him with. He, he gives credit to Apollos, you know. He gives credit to those who labor. So, but notice here, Jesus encourages disciples in their work with, with him in three ways, okay? Their work in the harvest would be rewarded, okay? It's in our text in John 4. He who reaps receives what? What? Wages. There are wages to be had. Number two, the fruit of their work would last forever. Gather fruits for eternal life, okay? Number three, every worker in the harvest would rejoice together in their work. So sowers and reapers usually got paid when the crop was harvested. If you're looking at those who they you had hired to come into your farm, and they you pay them. Now, according to this analogy, what will Christian workers receive at the end of the age when the final harvest takes place and Christ comes? Each one should be careful, like I said, how he builds. Each of us is responsible for the quality of our work when we are building into the lives of others because there is rewards, because there is wages, because it's his house I'm building on. Okay, We can't be lazy or sloppy because that dishonors the Lord of the harvest who calls us again in Matthew 9, 38 to go out and be a laborer. Let me read that again. Matthew 9, 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Whose harvest is it? It's his. He's the Lord of it. So whether your ministry is primarily to sow seed, that is to share your faith, testify, to preach the gospel, or to water, which really is discipleship, that would be that, or, or to reap, lead people to Christ, all these are important, and, and when the harvest comes, everyone will get paid. You're going to be rewarded for this or not rewarded for this. So evangelism of the gospel involves one who sows the seed of the gospel, one who waters the seed, and another who reaps the gospel's harvest of souls. So there will be times when uh, we will mostly be sowing seed, teaching souls the first principles of the gospel, like if we go back here to Mark 16, we will be engaged like this. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe uh, will be condemned. So we're teaching them the first principles of the gospel of Christ. Like Peter would say, we influence souls by example. In 1 Peter 3, he says, Wives, 
Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observed your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, I'm not making this message into a women's message today. Just simply trying to show you there that how you walk can influence another person to come to Christ. There might be times when we see little fruit from our efforts, but we can take comfort in knowing that God's word is never sown in vain. Isaiah 55, verse 10. What does that say? Isaiah 55, 10. You probably know it since it says, verses 10 and 11, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the, to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. So, and there may be times, that was, you know, the, speaking about times when we will uh, mostly be sowing seed. There may be times when we may reap where others have sown. Souls who come to us wanting to study, ready to obey the word. Souls where others had sown into their life. And now we're privileged to reap that harvest or to disciple them. There will be times when there's much reaping with little effort. Have you ever been involved in anything like that? Where... Somebody just comes up to you and goes, uh, uh, I just want you to know that I came to Christ last night. And I said, well, who talked to you about it? He goes, just me and the Lord. You know, so there's times when we will reap, be part of that reaping without much effort involved. And just remember this, you, you and I can't save anybody. He alone is the one that gives increase. You and I can't, can't do anything to save people except do our work of in the harvest. Okay, so what's involved in sowing and reaping? What's involved in evangelism? How do I take this that's happening here in John chapter 4 and apply it to my life? Okay. First of all, I need prayer. Okay. Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest. What am I asking him for? Laborers, okay? Labor, other people. So it's just not a one-person show. Pray that the laborers go out to the harvest. And if the harvest, if the field is ripe and it looks like a sea of white, how many laborers do you think that's going to take? Anybody? Now we have, let's, let's just take this and put it in a, a Think of it like farming. In the Palouse, down here in wheat country, how do they harvest? Well, they, now they have combines, right? One combine can do the work of probably 50 men. 1,000 maybe, right? Right, yeah. But back in the day when my grandpa used to work down there, they would have the mules and everything, and they'd get, they would put it in... They finally got the machine that would actually break the heads off the, the stem. And then they're sewing it in. It's coming in. And they're sewing these bags. 
okay? As fast, the guy who would sew the bags, the burlap bags, and then throw it off, they had the way to do that. They had a way to stand alone threshing where you'd bring the, the grain to the machine. They had all sorts of ways to do it, but it took a mass amount of people. Now we have combines. One combine, but could one combine do these fields that are in the Palouse? Maybe. But usually how many do they have? Up to maybe 10 apiece? I don't know, six, seven, eight. Uh, I used to drive those things. They are fun, by the way. I have to say that. There's nothing like having a 35, 45-foot header in front of you, and you're just mowing grass at a clip that's a pretty good, because you're just, if you're not making straw and taking the, the, the wheels off the back, the fan off the back, the, you pull that off and it'll just drop it and you can bale the straw. But if you're just taking the grain, you can move pretty, pretty at a good fa fast face. Fast pace. Sorry, I was talking like the president. <laughs> but anyway, do we want to evangelize? Right? Do we want to evangelize people? Then let's pray. Okay? Look at Matthew 7. Go over here to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What do you think he's talking about there? Prayer. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, I don't want to take this verse out of context. But if I'm praying and asking God for laborers to come into the field. Do you think it's his will to give it to you? Yes. Or he wouldn't have said pray for it. So why are there few laborers anymore? Maybe the church isn't asking for laborers. Maybe we're not praying and asking, you know, pray for opportunities and wisdom to recognize, you know, the need. Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it, that's verse 2, with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Okay, notice that. A couple things to pray for. Uh, praying with thanksgiving, but asking God to open a door for the gospel. I want to pray for laborers. I want to pray, you know, for a door to be opened for us to share, opportunities to share faith. And if you look at Paul in 2 Thessalonians, look at this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all, not all have faith. So we want to pray for any obstacle that would be could, should be removed. Lord, there, there's a spiritual battle here. And, and Lord, I pray that you would send out laborers in, uh, into the harvest, Father, with, with us. I pray that, Lord, you'd give opportunity for us, open those doors. Lord, stop these people that are trying to hinder it. And if you look at Ephesians 6, when Paul writes to them, now you'd think he was already this way, but he had to pray this way because he's just like us. 
okay? Ephesians 6, Paul has to pray for boldness. It says here in verses 18 to 20, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So prayer is important when we're involved in sowing and reaping, when we're involved in evangelism. Okay, the, the second thing that's needed is opportunity. Jesus says, send forth workers into the harvest. Opportunities are not in the future, they're right now. I need that opportunity right now. This person in the grocery line at the store needs the gospel. I may only see them in my life for the next two minutes. You think it's important enough for us to share the gospel with them? Now, if there's many people in, in, the, in the harvest doing the work of a laborer, if I miss somebody, somebody else more than likely will pick that up. But I can't wait for that. I don't know what's going to happen to that person. So I would encourage you to do this. Lord, show me today. Show me today. The opportunity that's right in front of my eyes, I'm going to miss it if you don't show it to me. Show it to me. Make me aware of the harvest. Let me see, hear what people are saying. You know, it's like going into that the, whatever line of the store and you'll hear the, the clerk say to some, well, how's your day? Anybody been asked that? You know, or a, a, anybody go to get coffee? That's what they say. How, how are you doing today? What do you got planned today? Anybody have anybody ask you that? And what do we do? Eh, I'm not doing nothing. You know, oh, I'm just going to work. You know, or, or like, don't bother me. I'm, uh, uh, maybe that's just me. But people are like that. Don't, you know, I'm just, and you'll say, well, how's your day? Well, it's not good. The clerk might say that. Oh, it's just been awful. I have a rough home life. or the, They might make a comment. Oh, it's just been. And we go, okay, well, have a good day. And God has just handed us on a platter an opportunity for the gospel. But we aren't looking for the harvest so we don't see it. So we need opportunity. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Maybe a believer is just saying, I need encouragement. The third one, and I'm going to end right here. We need teaching. In other words, Jesus says, send into the harvest. Now, it's impossible to, be, to do evangelism, evangelism without teaching. You're going to have to teach them something. Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, go and make disciples. How do you make disciples? You teach. You know, John 7, 17, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own authority, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no one, uh, oh, 
I should have backed up here. Verse 16 answered them and said, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus was teaching whose doctrine? The Father's. Who, whose doctrine are we teaching? The Lord's. Same doctrine. But we're going to have to teach. Teaching is required to make disciples. Okay, so you got to know something about what the Word says in order to go plant seed, water seed, and even be part of reaping that seed. You're going to have to know what you're talking about. So I'm going to just leave you with this. This section on Jesus' ministry in Samaria, and this was the third part, concludes with the Samaritan's words. And I want you to go down here to 42. Oh, by the way, it says, let's back up to 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Is that, is that amazing? No Jewish person had ever done that. But Jesus did that. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's, that's the goal right there. That's where you want to get, when you're out evangelizing, you want to get them to a place where they acknowledge this is Jesus. And you don't have to convince them, they know it. This is the Savior of the world. And it's amazing to me that this, out of this one woman, this town gets saved. Where is it? Where is it in, uh, in Acts? Uh, the, it's in Acts. I forget where they're in. In Samaria, but I can go look at that later. Open your eyes. The harvest is red right before us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for time in your word this morning. Again, I... Pray for those who couldn't be here, Lord, that you would just minister into their life today if they hear this or hear it later, Father. Lord, grateful, Father, for all that you do for us. I'm grateful that you called us, Father, to a harvest here in North Idaho. All we have to do is look up and see that it is ripe, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would send laborers into the harvest. Here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, I pray that you would make my eyes open to what is around me for those who need Christ. Lord, and let me be a minister in the gospel, Father, that way. Lord, let me plant seed, water seed. Lord, use me to bring in the harvest. And when I say me, I mean us, Father God. Us as a body here, Lord, add to our numbers in a way that we are just amazed. Not numbers to be here at Rathrum, but people into the body of Christ, Father. I, I think, Father, we ought to have a testimony almost weekly of the people we've talked to where we planted seed or watered seed. Lord, that should be on our lips all the time. We should have those testimonies all the time. Lord, help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.